yeah, I had come up with the same title and I emailed you and said, Hey, uh, perhaps we could share this title somehow or work together. You're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> that okay, sounds like I me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's me, Michael Bean, and you're on with Geezers of the Game. Stay frosty. Uh, today we have John Four from RolePlayingTips.com. Thanks for joining us, John. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. This is uh, my favorite way to spend an evening next to gaming. It's talking about games. So this is great. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I've said it before that I've, I countered it up once. I don't remember how many hours now that I've played. It was a lot of hours played but more than double that was spent talking about role playing in one form or another (laughs) yeah yeah excellent i know that feeling yeah definitely so tell me a little bit about what got you into role playing and how you were introduced to this whole crazy madness yeah so um so i started in 1980 um didn't really realize what I was getting into. Uh, I was in a, in a, in, when I was in grade five, they had a, a single class with grades five, six, and seven all in the same class. And so one of the older kids had tricked the, the teacher into running uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, turns out it was basic set, as I learned afterwards, uh, for the entire class on a Friday afternoon. So you have like 30 kids all with one dungeon master all trying to play the game and if memory serves because this was a little while ago he um he you know character creation was part of that so it fell apart during character creation and ultimately what happened was all the girls went to one side of the room and did their things and all the guys went to one side of the room and then on the guy's side there was a smaller uh segment who was actually interested in the game and we kept kind of fiddling around with it and then Basically, the other guys did their own thing or went over to the girl side. So basically, like it was chaos and zero gaming got uh, played that afternoon. Uh, but what what happened was, and I think the teacher learned a lesson that day. Uh, what happened was that at lunch, though, this this group of people that became interested in the funny dice and the books and what these character sheets were about and stuff, we played at lunch, and it was a hot seat game. So. There was the the DM, and he was in grade seven. And then you had um, I don't remember how many people were playing, but I think it was about five desks. So at lunch, basically, we would put all our desks together. Uh, there was five desks, and then you got to play. And when your character died, you you got up, and then the next player in line got to sit down and make you know play the game. We already had our characters and stuff, so I had a first level cleric. And um, I waited for my turn. I don't remember how many lunches it was. I think it was two. And then I finally got my chance. And so I've been waiting. So first of all, I was teased during that afternoon in that big class, which was too chaotic to actually uh, figure out the game and play it. Then I waited a couple of lunches uh, for my chance. And I sat down and uh, my character just kind of appeared. And, uh, and so then we encountered a, um, a carrion crawler. And in the first round, I was hit and paralyzed. And then the second round, I was eaten. And so in about 12 seconds, I stood up and another player took my place. And that, that was my experience. Um, but for some, <laughs> some reason, yeah, I know, I know. 
Um, but for some reason, uh, the game concept stuck with me and I had no idea what I played. Like I wasn't paying attention and I didn't read the cover of the books and I wasn't, you know, and D&D wasn't big at that time, at least in, in my small town uh, and it, in the media and stuff, whatever I was paying attention to, it had zero Dungeons and Dragons. So, um, so fast forward to the summer and I'm bored and I'm thinking, well, I like wrestling. I want to create a pro wrestling game, whatever it was that I played in school. I want the I want to create a pro wrestling game. So I just tried to dredge up what I knew from uh, that time, and I grabbed dice from my Monopoly. So I had a pair of d sixes. And um, anyways, that was fun. I did that solo for a while, and I made my ladder, and I had matches, and I had the good guys and the bad guys and everything. Um, and so that it was a terrible game. I was ten years old, so basically it, it was just me trying to fantasize about wrestling and applying some kind of weird mechanics to it. All right, so here's the official start. So fast forward that same year to Christmas. My friend gets uh, the, the box set uh, for Christmas. Uh, no, he got the basic set, Keep on the Borderlands, and In Search of Unknown. That's right. He got two modules and the, and the Red Book. Um, and he said, well, here you go. I don't like reading. You, you figure <laughs> it out. and We'll play. So uh, I was over at his place on, on um, Boxing Day. So basically, I figured out the game. I made characters. And then, oh, this is the game that I've been looking for all this time. And I couldn't figure it out. And I don't, you know, didn't know, I didn't reach out to the guys that I played with during, you know, months before. So this was it. It landed in my lap all by itself. And um, then I was like the GM. So I had to figure it out. We played so the rules all wrong. I, I got everything wrong. Uh, but it was, that was it. And then, my friend and I just played every day on weekends. Um, we would play uh, in record quantity. Like how many hours in a row could we play during sleepovers and stuff? And that was our, that was our standard. Uh, it yeah. wasn't like quality of role playing. Um, it wasn't even characters leveling up because we got our characters up to level, I think 52 pretty quick. Uh, thus, you know, my lack of 52. knowledge of the rules. And, wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he played Thor and Odin. He named all of his characters after uh, gods. And then, you know, later on in about 1981 or 1982, I got deities and demigods. And we sorted that out quickly. And we took our 52 level characters and pitted them against the gods and won, of course, against everyone in the book. But um, yeah, those were my days of uh, hardcore. We weren't power gaming because we didn't understand the rules well enough. We were just cheating. So those yeah, were my right. days of like yeah, power leveling up and beating everything and getting every... We wanted uh, every magic item in the book and all that stuff. And that was the, yeah, that was how I got started ultimately was that Christmas um, re-gifting and uh, yeah, just hooked until this day in uh, 2021. That's awesome. That is uh, quite the uh, seed planting and then ultimately a boomerang effect. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Too funny. So, uh, so I came across your uh, your site. I guess you said 2003 is when your NPC essentials hit somewhere in there. I think so. Yeah, around yeah. that time. I could go look in the in the copyright of the book, but yeah, around that time. Yeah, I had come up with the same title, and I emailed you and said, "Hey, uh, perhaps we could share this title somehow or work together." You're like, "No." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> that okay, sounds like I me. understand. <laughs> What and that, that I started reading, you know, and getting your uh, newsletter. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Because at that point, I had taken kind of a break from role-playing. Um, well, a forced break, <laughs> we'll say. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and up when I came across that, I started gaming a lot more again. And it was, you know, like, oh, this is great. Let's, I'm going to create content, you know, and I built like this program and such. Anyways, it doesn't matter. This is not about me. It's about you. Um, <laughs> well, apologies for saying no. I had no idea. I don't even have that don't email worry. anymore uh, from that date. But uh, yeah, I was either a jerk or ignorant or not sure what I was doing. No, you had uh, finished really your a hobby book. at that point. Uh, never written a book either. So maybe I was really nervous about uh, just trying to figure out how to uh, stick around on a project so long. But anyways, uh, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I totally understood. I'm like, yeah, I, I understand. Since you wrote your book already, you probably don't want to go in with me now that you've done all this work. <laughs> anyways, don't worry. that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so when did you actually start the website, the newsletter, I should say? Yeah. Um, November, I believe, the 3rd, 1999. Wow. Yeah. The That's first newsletter went out to um, three people. It went out to my mom, uh, who actually didn't have um, email back then. So it was just a fake email address. And um, it went to two of my email addresses, my primary one and my backup one. Uh, so those are the, the first three subscribers were, were me cheating again, only one subscriber. Um, but uh, everyone who received the newsletter enjoyed it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. Back so, in that uh, day, geez, 1999, uh, yeah. I had a website company uh, building web pages for companies. Uh, I was, was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, back then I had to justify the internet's existence. Uh, because there is this a fad, um, you know, you can't, how do you, unless you have paid for a real expensive system, about $20,000, e-commerce had not been uh, democratized at that point. And uh, there was no PayPal. And then of course, you know, everything today didn't exist in terms of uh, the tools and accessibility and stuff. Um, oh, God, no. So the best I could do was um, uh, sending out an email via Hotmail BCC'd to three people and um, got a domain and built a, you know, kind of a crummy website. And yeah, that was all in early November there before uh, the end of the, before Y2K, the end of the world. Yep. That's where I got my start. Uh, my very first real IT job. I mean, I worked for this thing called Future Shop. Being a oh, Canuck, wow, yeah. you may know Future Shop. Yes, but uh, um, for those that don't know, Future Shop is basically Best Buy before Best Buy was here. Before Best Buy bought them, I think. Is that who bought them? I, I'm not 100% sure. I know that the locations in Portland were bought out by Best Buy. But yeah, I, I don't anyways. I don't remember the story. I do remember reading stories of employees who just showed up to work and couldn't enter the store. And then they were told en masse, you've been laid off, restructuring and stuff. Um, I remember it was, a, it was a terrible experience for humans in, in that company, just the way that it was handled, you know. Wasn't a great company to work for, but I got my start. Okay. And then my very first real IT job was working for a company, uh, fixing their legacy uh, software. It's written in basic. And oh. <laughs> basic did not know how to change the date. <laughs> so we had to fix that. Crazy. It was easy to fix, but yeah. Yep. I, I'm, uh, I'm old as well. <laughs> but I look young. It's all this fat makes me baby. Baby <laughs> but that's the name of your podcast hence the name hey that's exactly right yeah people ask what happens if you get like, young again if i get if young you, again 
I will yeah, remain. they might have uh, therapies. You could always, uh, you know, re- reframe your thinking to be young, <laughs> thinking young and foolish again. So you have to change your podcast wait, name at that wait. point. Are you are you trying to say that I don't think young and foolish? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you think young. No. <laughs> oh, I do. Unfortunately, that's why I play role playing games. <laughs> it's the fountain yeah. of youth, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is. Uh, it, in, in seriousness, I think it's the best game in the world just because of the, the dimensionality to it. So I can't think of another game that challenges so many regions of the brain or types of skills, everything from, from leadership to imagination to strategy and, and, and analysis. So, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Playing it keeps us young, for sure. Yeah, one, a couple of the things that I'm working on right now is a homeschool uh, module because it's so powerful. I mean, what do they call dice? <laughs> Shiny math <laughs> rocks. I mean, it is. And you've seen the memes, I'm sure, that, you know, I showed up for a game and spent two hours doing math. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's role play. But, you know, it's also vocabulary. I mean, think of all, I, most of my diction <laughs> really comes from role playing games and then reading Agreed. comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. My diction, I blame on Gary Gygax, actually. Uh, you know, he had such a, a wide anymore, variety. I noticed. Yeah. And then my roommate at the time in around the year two, 1992, 93, um, he learned to read as a, uh, as a teenager. So I think he said around 15 or 16, he learned to read um, from role-playing games. So he was basically illiterate. He read at a grade three level. And then um, he, he um, uh, joined role-playing games he got really excited by the hobby bought the books and then started reading the books and out of his desire to understand the books he you know basically over time built up the his literacy and that muscles of uh of you know focus and diction and syntax and things he became a writer so uh later on so you know it's a really That's good a thing success that, story i would say exactly yes. yeah That's and awesome. then he blamed gary gygax uh and the invention advanced dungeon master's guide uh for in particular for his intense study of what the hell are all these words? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Gygax is not known for, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, short, concise sentences. <laughs> yeah. Consistent. Very flowery. Yes, yeah, definitely. So, but some of the best adventures ever made, and I, sorry, yeah, I interrupted you. You're no, go for it. Question. I'm okay but, with that. Yeah. Anecdotally. <laughs> Uh, as we, um, you know, as I re- I've been reading a lot of adventures in the last few years um, in kind of studying what makes a really good adventure tick and stuff. And uh, the old ones uh, are always in the top, in, in the best bucket. Um, not every old adventure is in you know, the best of class, but the ones that Gary written, or at least the ones that I, I like of his that he's written, they're, they're classics. They are, they're, uh, you know, small case studies and how to mm-hmm. make an interactive game. Uh, really nice stuff there. Yeah. Okay, but hold on. I've read your tips. <laughs> I've even contributed okay. to your tips over the years. And I would say that you are not a planner by your tips, <laughs> which I think is awesome because personally, I think planned games typically end up being a railroad game. And yeah. uh, unplanned, as long as you have some idea what you want to do or can think quickly, it could be fun. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. These days, these days I'm kind of in the middle. Um, so I plan some stuff and then I, I prepare to improvise basically. So I am planning, but I'm pre- planning to create an interactive experience to be part 
of an interactive experience, um, which is not writing a book or a script or a teleplay. It's not um, being a stage director. It's basically um, its own medium, uh, which I've you know slowly been figuring out uh, and trying to master, trying to get better at. And I think game masters who are heavily influenced by uh, reading books and watching shows uh, that haven't figured out it's an interactive game and that's what makes it different and what makes it special uh, will come to the table with a plan with their with their okay the party will do this and then they'll do this and then they'll do this or when the party does this this will happen and all of those are are traps uh you're right uh i don't like planning like that I'll, I'll plan for trigger so oh okay if this happens well then you know i've i've thought of some things that might happen in response but i don't depend on it or try not to make those dependencies um <laughs> that's funny. yeah unless you're doing a dungeon crawl it's kind of hard to not be prepared a little for that <laughs> yeah for sure for sure uh, at formats, you're right. So uh, dungeon crawls, um, point-based campaigns, uh, convention games, I will lean heavily. Uh, not that I'm an experienced at a convention GM. I'm mostly a house GM, but kind of like David Letterman. But um, the uh, the convention games, I've in, at least from the player side, I know that the, the better planned scenarios are the ones that ha are better experiences. Even though every, you know, every player wants choice in sandbox, in a convention game, you've got a time limit and there's an objective. And you haven't formed a team yet, so it's quite often difficult to get everyone in the in the in the, in the at the table, all these strangers, um, in the kind of thinking along the same plane. So yeah, I I do advocate for different styles or different uh, venues for sure. Oh God, yeah, I agree with you. When you're dealing with people that have never played together, and you have to do it in a certain amount of time, you need to lead them, um, and they need to be good enough to. To know that's what's going to happen and go with it or they shouldn't true. play <laughs> the game in that yeah, true in that uh venue so yeah. how has your role-playing tips changed from 1999 to 2021 that's a long yeah. time <laughs> um well they have gray hair uh like i do um yeah I hear that that's a good too. question uh so my i started role-playing tips to become a better game master and in Vancouver, while I had, I knew lots of players, I did not know lots of game masters. And I wasn't the kind of person to hang out at a bar, like a, being antisocial introvert. I liked just being in my own head most of the time. So I wasn't part of a network of game masters and I didn't go to conventions and, and stuff. So, um, so I was lonely and trying to figure out how to improve the game. And be, this was before D20. And I think D20, uh, which was published around 2000, um, with third edition and the OGL, um, as soon as yeah, because because the code tour yeah. came out, what uh, two thousand five four, somewhere in there three maybe, so yeah, yeah. it would have been before that two thousand three I think yeah yeah. Um, Anyways, I interrupted. Yeah, no, that's okay. I was just thinking. I started work at Bioware. I was there for a few years, and Kotor was already produced. And I started there in 2004, so I think that means the game was out in 2002 or 2003. And that yeah, that game, remember. Knights of the Old Republic, was based on the D20 rules, which is um, right. why you mentioned it, and that's good. Uh, and so, yeah, D20, as a, just a side note, uh, generated all this kind of self-publishing industry. And back in the day, self-publishing then involved creating either um, zero references to games because of copyright and trademark and people didn't understand that you you couldn't copyright game mechanics and um, and therefore there was more 
general stuff. And uh, but then D20 came along and all of a sudden everyone could write for Dungeons and Dragons, albeit, you know, given you can't call it D&D, but you could call it D20. Same, same. Call game. It lots of things. Yes. But not yeah. the uh, not the straight up names. Yeah. Anything so, Gygax so, came with, you can't say. Yeah, <laughs> it, I know. And, the, and the, I don't I haven't followed all the recent antics, but I think the Gygax family or folks or individuals are still kind of litigious. They're still kind of they're trying wanting, to. They're doing it again. Uh, Gygax's son, I can't get uh, Luke. Uh, what's his name? I think it's Luke. Yeah. Anyways, he's he's got quite the hatred online from the young. Oh, okay. Uh, young ones, but um, I guess he said insensitive things. I don't know. I I, I try to stay out of the politics. I, I'm here to have fun. Yes. Yeah. I'm in the same camp. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so anyways, uh, in 1999, D20 had not hit yet. And D20 generated a lot of GM advice content because not only was the internet becoming better because Blogger existed then. You, in a few moments, you could hook up with a Google Blogger account and start writing and be post-published online. But then um, you know, books like my, uh, my old one that you referenced there, NPC Essentials, um, which I refuse to cooperate with you on. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and other books. I think you finished it, my friend. It's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, what I was basically all to the point that I was alone trying to become a better game master, happy to become a better game master by GMing more, right? Experience is the best teacher, but um, looking for a way to connect. And so I was part of the Usenet uh, communities, uh, hob hobnobbing with Roger Moore and others on the Greyhawk server and some other communities. So I thought, okay, well, why don't I just put some tips in an email, my tips, and send it out to people, and then they could send tips back to me, and I would publish them back out to everybody, and we could have this great feedback loop of game masters sharing their expertise. So that's what the newsletter was in, in 1999. And then the first uh, dozen or so issues was were me kind of learning how to write, and I was not a good writer, you can tell from the archives, and um, and kind of exploring how what this was all about anyways by around issue i don't know 75 or 100 i kind of had the format down so seven ways to do this seven tips to do that 10 10 ideas on x and that's um sort of like pre-click clickbait um kind of <laughs> stuff right just pick yeah, a topic a and then brain dump here's three things you can do to be better at this topic like uh npcs right. or mounted combat or whatever the case may be right um and so that was me then. And so what I call me then was kind of scratching the surface. So I was dealing with surface level content. And I see a lot of content out there today, just like that. And it's kind of more, uh, it's entertaining. It doesn't get to the heart of uh, becoming a better game master, but it gives you like tools and ideas for you to apply. And then through deduction and inference, you can figure out, oh, okay, well, this is why I'm a better game master by applying these three ways to be a better role player, you know, um, stage better combats or whatever. Um, so then I kind of ended that format on issue 702, I think, and then um, switched to, I think it was in 2016, I switched to kind of one topic per email in more storytelling paragraph mode. So I would, I would have my tips, but I would do a deeper analysis um, in some cases, uh, whether it was accurate or not, that leaves, you know, let the audience decide. Um, and I was really struck with, okay, Here's the format that I want. I want to uh, empower GMs on how to do things. So the tips were hit and miss. Most of the time, like 80% of the time, the tips that I wrote and that 
came in before then were what to do. So you, here's three things on what you need to do to make an NPC realistic or how to make a combat exciting or fast or how to make an adventure um, uh, resonate with your players. But they told you what to do. They wouldn't tell you the steps to do each of those things. Or I wouldn't tell my readers, here's, here's what to do, but here's the three things or the step-by-step -step kind of um, recipe. And a recipe is a good metaphor, actually. So I would give people the ingredients, but I would fail to tell them how to mix the ingredients and the quantities and the temperatures and the, and the preparation techniques. So in 2016, I tried to change that. Um, I wanted more of a blueprint. Like if you follow these three steps and follow these exact steps of the steps, you will get an outcome similar to, to what I'm, I'm getting here. Now, whether that's the outcome you want or not, or if it's good enough for you, that's different. But at least now you, you understand um, how to go through the motions and, and actually build something or run something. Uh, finally, in um, around 2000 and yeah, I think it was around 2020, um, I started working with my business partner, Joachim Lindemann, uh, who's from Germany. Uh, on an, kind of an academy. So how do I turn these miscellaneous kind of random articles about how to do things into something that is a system? So if I'm a GM and I'm starting from scratch, uh, if I'm a new GM or an experienced GM, I'm starting without a campaign, without a world, and I want to run like an epic campaign. I want to make friends with a group of people or bring existing friends through a one, two, three year or more uh, sequential story and make the campaign survive. And so it's kind of like, okay, how do I do that? That's a new challenge. And so that's where the newsletter um, riffs off of a lot uh, these days is my thinking and development of an actual A to Z system for GMing. Um, because I, ironically, um, I want game masters to choose their own style. Uh, I don't want them to be clones of me because well, what everybody- What do you mean by style? Yeah, how would you define that? <laughs> so there's a, we could put a number of um of gaming approaches on uh spectrums for example where you have the most or the least or the or the biggest of this and the biggest of that and so let's talk about player agency as one uh dial or spectrum mm -hmm. my preference is to run where i know secrets and the players do not create much of the world and the setting we create it through gameplay together and so they they build the world but in general, I'm not asking them uh, design a city for me. I might ask them to name an NPC. I might ask them to flesh out details of their background, but I'm not asking them to build uh, like microscope RPG, to build the universe and to build the world. Um, and in general, I don't ask them to, to build um, what the first adventure is about. Usually I'll, I'll have a canned first adventure that I'll homebrew. And then, um, then the campaign usually by that time takes a life on its own. And then we just follow the, 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 the white rabbit down whatever holes the players choose. Um, so then if we look, but other GMs will actually uh, show up with no nothing and they'll say, okay, here's the game system maybe, but um, you know, create the world, create the initial uh, premise of the adventure. Good, I'm ready to go. Other GMs will go in the opposite where everything is uh, pre-planned. So the world is built out um, in a hundred pages or a thousand pages or in you know, 500 blog posts. and the campaign and the adventure, they're all prescripted. And then the GM is just basically either running a game that is like uh, the video game Dragon's Lair. Mm -hmm. So the GM presents a situation and the players just choose left or right, one or two, over here, over there, up above or down below, you know, 
it's a binary kind of a thing. And then the game master is prepared for that outcome and the adventure uh, carries on. So I'm in the middle of that spectrum, I think, where I have a little bit. Of, so I'm actually closer to the non-agency side, actually. And so that would be one way to uh, describe the GM style. Another way would be, say, your enthusiasm level. I've, I've had great GMs who can't muster variation in their voice. And I have had terrible GMs who are really epic actors and have uh, really good variation. Um, another uh, one, I'll stop the examples with three. Another one is um, fudging the dice or cheating and what your definition of cheating is. Mm -hmm. My definition of cheating is making the players, uh, giving the players an expectation through consistency and then betraying that. So for example, um, if I do, if we make a house rule about something, then that situation comes up again, I'm going to use canon or the game that's already been played, our existing house rule and apply that. Um, and other GMs will not. And, and some GMs will say, well, story trumps all. And I'll hand wave the rules at any given time to make for a better story. And then other game masters will say, okay, the rules um, are dominant. And I will make sure that the rules are properly applied. And so whether that's a triangle or a spectrum or whatever kind of a dial that you want, that's another uh, basis of GM style. So yeah, with those three examples, you know, through the, and I guess through you read anybody's writing or you get GM'd by a person after a period of time, you get to learn all where they sit on all of these things. You know, come to think of it, maybe, um, I think it's on Lars Ludi, uh, Ben Robbins blog. He has the same page tool. I think that might be a good uh, thing to Google for examples of how to define a game master style, because there's so many questions on that. And a lot of them relate to, um, you know, permissions and, uh, an approach to how players affect the game and stuff, which means yeah. it's based on the GM. Yeah. Well, I think I think it. I think uh, the best game masters are the best at teamwork. Uh, if you oh, can yeah. see yeah. it is a team and not you against your players, it always goes better. But you're also looking for opportunities to give the players something special because it's a story. Yeah but nobody's reading this story. You guys are playing this story. It's different. And, but that's just my personal opinion. And, and some people are very, very crazy about uh, one way or, or not crazy, but fanatic one yes, way or the yes. other. And I think there's a happy medium and it really depends on what you're doing <laughs> more yeah. than anything. I think sandbox is definitely um, a good term. Um, coming from the IT world, I understand yeah. why it was used, but um, I, I also don't think that a pure sandbox, just like pure democracy doesn't work. I mean, if you've ever had a group of over five people try to decide where to eat, you know, a democracy doesn't work. But there has to be a leader. Yeah, there sure. has to be. Yeah, there has to be. Um, and for those that don't know, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic just so you know, anyways, <laughs> but I don't care. You can believe what you want. Um, but I don't in, know what Canada is now. Canada was a either. constitutional monarchy and then we got rid of the monarchy. Yeah. And now I don't know what we're actually technically specified. Well, you as. have rest representatives though, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's only in, it's in name only. Like we don't really do much with, uh, the queen anymore. Um, right. I her face is on the money, but we're not a colony anymore. Um, so basically if UK goes to war or sets a certain policy on something, Canada is not affected. 
Canada sets its own things in those lines. So I don't know what that makes uh, uh, my country. I think your country is a good way to uh, steal the money from the United States through trade, <laughs> unbalanced trade, <laughs> which works just fine for Canada. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's horrible. Anyways, I love Canada and I have no problem with it. Although I am a little <laughs> hurt that my money doesn't go farther in Canada anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just checking That's the exchange like. rate. I think it's 1.266 uh, to buy one American dollar. So a, a buck 20. It's better than it was there for a while. There for a while, you had yeah. a stronger dollar than we did. Yeah, it's been uh, crazy the last four years. It has been up above a dollar and then it was 60 cents a few years ago. So it's been yeah crazy. Yeah. And now we got Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, obviously you... You really go through the gamut when I look at the different newsletters. Um, but what is your favorite uh, genre to play in? It would be sword and sorcery. Yeah, really? Yeah, hands down. You're definitely a D and D diehard. Yeah, and I think it more like um, Lankmar and uh, and uh, and Conan. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. Style. So you like a little bit more of a. Uh... Oh man. Oh, I had a had a perfect. Now I forgot. Well, if I think of it, I'll tell you. Sure. But yeah, sometimes the they Conan call Conan uh, sword and sandals, swords and sandals. Um, I like low uh, magic. It's, it's less like country based. It's more nomadic and um, um, clans, things like that. It's a different type of feel than yeah, and, the standard fantasy where you have massive kingdoms and such. Well. Yeah, that, that would be interesting to talk about the world building aspect there because uh, Conan had the empire, but uh, it was kind of a... Yeah. yeah. To me, it's about uh, where magic is special and it's not street. It's not on the street. You don't go to a vending machine and you know put in your gold piece and get a ring plus one. Not not that that exists today, but um, just as an example. And then, Oh, that exists um, in your games. We all know it. <laughs> That's right. I'm the, the, the peddler, the, the, the vendor for... Uh, for terrible pop um <laughs> what else it's like magic is special uh supernatural events are worth an entire story so mm. in a typical DD game now fireball is like okay how much damage did you do and the kind of stories that i like the most are um wow a fireball happened and that caused an entire plot and um and then the characters by definition are lower level and a little bit more closer to survival mode where um, being able to buy plate mail armor is something that you save up for over many game sessions and and order and get fitted and it's a special event and that kind so, of thing so do you make them uh do you make them get things repaired or is it just magically better the next game <laughs> um i've been playing so ultimately i go with what my players want um and lasts since 2015, I've been playing D&D 5e. Mm -hmm. And by default, I call it like, um, I, I forget what I call it now. Shoot, I had it. Uh, anyways, it's shopping mall role-playing uh, in my the way that the rules are out of the box. So we don't worry about entropy in, in any way. Uh, and the players don't lose. Um, the action economy is tipped in their favor and things like that. So we don't have to track. So I have in the past uh, enjoyed and used rules that talk about uh, wear and tear on equipment um on inventory uh basically how many arrows do you have left in your quiver more mm -hmm. of that survival type it, it is a genre um it doesn't take the forefront 
But what I like about that is that such rewards are meaningful. And if you get another haul with uh, 1,000 gold pieces and everybody's like, okay, thanks. We'll just add it to the treasure che treasure list. Okay, what else? You know that that something is missing from the game there. It's not special. Um, right. Especially with rewards. Just... Rewards are important. And yes. when you take away the importance of a reward, it becomes just one less tool you have. Yeah. 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 By definition, it's not a reward anymore. It's almost like... A, I, maybe it's not a gift anymore. It's an expectation. Um, yes, that's really yeah. what it becomes. Yeah. And the more you do something, it, more it becomes habituated. And, and a habit, by definition, is something you don't think about. You just do. And you don't fight it. You don't, your, your inner critic gets no chance to defeat a habit. So that's the value of, uh, of creating good habits because you maintain those without self-sabotage. And so um, when certain um, aspects of gameplay become habitual they people stop being present they stop celebrating the moment whether it's a defeat or a victory or treasure or or um, a loss uh, like a retreat um, yeah and those are the things that in part that make the uh, the game special so I, I never want those to become habituated um, and, and things like uh, having to actually acquire go out and find the uh, ingredients for spells so you, you have to go to a wet market to get your bat wing uh, for identify or whatever. Um, those are uh, of interest to me in, in, a, in a gaming genre. Um, my go-to. I like other genres, of course, but yeah, my, that's my favorite. Sword and sorcery by my definition of whatever gritty assholery I have to put on my players. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are very much into D&D. &D. Uh, this uh, resurge I'd say that came about what about four years ago, five years maybe. Yeah, twenty. Um, really has brought in, uh, you know, the younger players. You know, you got these thirty-somethings that were doing it in college. They're like, you know what? I remember doing that in college. I, this is awesome. And then you have like older gamers that are like, we've been doing this the whole time. Welcome to the party. <laughs> and then now yeah. there's all these young ones that are getting involved. Um, whether like I teach my, I taught my daughter how to role play and yeah, um, good. we're all fathers pretty much in my group. So all of our kids, my, my best friends, uh, five-year-old will pop in and out of games, <laughs> which is fine. We just go with whatever. It doesn't really matter. But, yeah. um, so have you had many of your, um, readers? Yes. I'd call it readers, um, ask you about how to deal with uh, younger players or things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Over the years, um, yeah, and I like the fact that D and D Fifth Edition turned mainstream. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that happened. Uh, a few events like actual play being recorded or streamed online for people to see. Oh, well, this is actually what the game is about. Um, the fact that they had a successful launch and got into mainstream stores like Target, Walmart um, here yeah. in Canada. Chapter Walmart was very interesting when i first saw oh. it there yeah that I'll was crazy i'm like uh because they're ultra righteous or not righteous religious that's okay. a different word uh, sorry walmart <laughs> anyways and so i really didn't expect them to put something with magic like that and yeah. you know i guess i come from a time when we were we were considered outcasts so yeah for sure not only so the game attracted people that basically didn't socialize well in other groups and that's not a, a criticism of the game, but that was my experience where, okay, 
I don't, I wasn't into sports. Um, I wasn't into other things. And this game itself was really appealing to me uh, on a number of levels. And, and then I noticed that, you know, my friends of course played, but then strangers um, who weren't uh, sports or who weren't in another um, kind of social group uh, were, were loners or whatever. They'd see you playing at lunch or, or whatever. They would just be attracted uh, to that kind of game. The game also um, attracts people that are unable to play sports or who, who have other uh, situations. And so for that reason, um, it's always had a wide uh, variety of people, uh, types of players in it, but you're right. So then when it became mainstream in 2015 with a few uh, pop culture references, like in Big Bang Theory, the mm -hmm. presence in the stores, a really good clean game that was easy for beginners to pick up and all these factors. Um, yeah, you got in a really strong uh, group of people who have different backgrounds. Some might have only played MMOs. Some might have uh, been hardcore video gamers. The, the, um, the kind of more uh, fighting game type of video yeah. gamers. Uh, others are familiar with role-playing game, video games. Um, others just know how to play party games with their friends and see mm -hmm. another group of friends playing what looks like a fun social game. And so, yeah, all these things. Uh, anyways, uh, I forgot the original question, but, uh, oh, I know, <laughs> young players. Yeah, do yeah, leaders ask players. me about, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah with young players all the time. Um, and I don't have children, so I'm by, I'm just kind of researching and, and by experience uh, playing or GMing younger players. And I, I call a younger player kind of like 12 and under. Yeah, um, I do and too. 12 is, 12 is an arbitrary uh, uh, time. It's just a number. It could it's preteen. Like, it's before yeah, they're preteen. Exactly. It's preteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the biggest tip I have there um, is just basically to meet them where they're at. Uh, so I've seen people struggle to teach them the rules and make, and make, kids uh, pay attention to complex rules, which fails in some cases. Uh, I've seen people, um, they expect kind of this, this level of focus that kids just do not possess, right? They're onto the other shiny object. Um, and so you, you can use dice as a talisman, right? That gets them focused and stuff. And you can use uh, elements of the game uh, to do that. But anyways, uh, if you can meet um, the kids where they're at or the child who's at the table where they're at and, um, and if they're used to hearing fairy tales, uh, if you read aloud to them like that, or if they're used to playing games on their iPads or whatever, whatever kind of experience they want, I just let them take the lead and uh, go with it. It's hard when you have a mixed party of adults, so then you kind of have to box them a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that's okay, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Here's your special Unless everybody's dessert, willing here's to everybody go else's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like trying to play cards with little ones that are cheating. And you just go with <laughs> yes, it because yes. what are you going to do? I mean, they're cheating. That's just yeah. how it is. You can't teach a five-year-old not to cheat. It's, it just doesn't <laughs> work. They're going to cheat. And it's not necessarily because they're bad. It's just they don't understand that that concept doesn't make sense yet. And that's okay. And with some 55-year-olds. So it's a, you know, <laughs> it's a thing. If you're playing with a 55-year-old that doesn't know the difference between not cheating and cheating, I recommend that you... Uh, either like it or move on <laughs> which speaking yeah, of it means how you're in our age group or maybe even older i don't know um so do you play with some of the same people you originally started playing with still no so yeah no in 1980 uh no one no one everybody's gone their separate ways um the oldest group i have uh, I played in uh, Vancouver with from 1991 to 2004, and that group we still play on um, online virtual. We're uh, we're using um, 
Discord and a variety of online tools. Um, and then the other group that I play with, my Murder Hobos group, we started in 2006 and uh, went on hiatus, COVID, a little bit of burnout, and, um, and we'll be back soon. But yeah, that would be my, my longest running groups. Uh, and then, of course, a lot play with people that I've only met a year ago. So it's, a, it's also you know, a, a spectrum of late relationships there, yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I played with the same guys for well, since 1987. Wow. One of them. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a strong friendship. That's really amazing. Yeah. And you know what? That's one of the things um, that I think is the most powerful about role-playing role-playing ebbs and flows with your relationships. Um, it also ebbs and flows with your maturity, how much you're willing to dig inside of yourself. You know, um, when you first start playing, usually it's, oh, I want to play, you know, Conan, or I want to play, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then and then when you get into it a little bit, you're like, you know what? I really don't want to play this stereotypical one because I want to do this too. So you try to push a couple things together and then and then you start playing with it. You know, and over the years, I, I really learned that it takes some, there's things I can't do. I could not play that character no matter what. It's just not possible for me. Um, and other people will have different strengths and weaknesses. So you learn what your limitation, well, you should learn what your limitations are and kind of do a self inventory of what you can do and push the boundary, but play what you can play because it it allows you to not be stressed about it you know you can do it and you can enjoy and you can delve deep into it um i don't know how many times i've tried to play super smart characters and i'm not smart <laughs> i can talk just fine but i can't you know i can't it's let like me roll my for daughter. that GM. i just yeah, want to roll yeah, a I, dice I, to solve the problem i did this smart thing look at my great role yeah. <laughs> what is that for? i don't know yeah i um, love it I love it. Yeah, my poor daughter, she she started playing and she's like, you know, she wants to play a character like this character that she loves on a TV show. And I'm like, okay, yeah. great. And it's a tech character, you know, they build and tinker. And she has no nice. clue what to build or tinker. And I'm like, well, yeah. why do you want to play this character? You know, but <laughs> but it's that same thing. And I and you know, it made me remember starting out, you know, in the beginning. So that's, I think that's one of the most powerful things about role-playing is it is a tool to know yourself, to know your party, you know, playing with strangers is fine, but they shouldn't remain strangers. If you really nope. want to enjoy role-playing. Yeah, that's my personal opinion. That's no, my totally PSA. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about that recently too, where ultimately it came down to, you know, any activity, um, you go deep enough as a hobby and you confront yourself. So mm. you will bring your own limitations to the point of, to your hobby at a certain point, And then that will limit your mastery of that hobby. It could be woodworking or it could be, um, it could be your job or whatever, but in any situation in life, your own, um, your own weaknesses will become uh, primary blockers at some point. And, um, and so it is with GMing. And so eventually you, you'll learn the mechanics of building an adventure, running an NPC or just, playing a, a, a crunchy game or a, or a story game. And then, um, and then you basically reach, yeah, I'm not smart enough or I'm not uh, comfortable enough or I'm not, you know, this or that. 
so that's I agree. You you basically um, will look in the mirror at some point uh, if you become good enough at GMing or your interest goes deep enough with GMing or, or GMing. Really, yeah, you really kind of have to do it in both ways because whether you're playing a character or you're playing the whole entire world, you need to, <laughs> you need to know what you can and cannot do. Um, yeah, I can remember one time we were. I don't know. We probably we did many marathon games, but yes. Um, one time we were playing. I don't remember how long we've been playing, and you know they kept coming across these NPCs, and they're like, "What about this guy? What about this guy?" And so I, at the time, I was trying to do accents. I don't try oh, to yeah. do accents anymore, but <laughs> at the time I was, and so I started to talk uh, in this accent, but rather than say what the character was saying, I was like, "What accent should I use?" <laughs> And I just said it out loud because my brain couldn't separate anymore. Yeah. And I knew, okay, I've hit a limit. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everybody's got limitations and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that also comes down to that GM style, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I think part of uh, getting older, I see that some limitations I have are, are actually hard limits. Um, you know, there's just external factors I can't change. And so yeah. I'm not going to defy the law of physics to get this thing done or built or, or described or whatever. Um, but then there's another bucket where it's self-limiting. It's, it's your beliefs. Oh, I, I don't believe I can do accents for just as a ran, just as a, an example. Um, but it could be if you, if you either practiced or you, you had a 30 day challenge, I'm going to talk in an accent for five minutes every day for 30 days, or I'll, um, hop on um, uh, video uh, chats with people who have the accent and try to talk like them. And, oh, like a uh, chat roulette type thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so I just, uh, I'm always wondering if uh, when I approach a limit, it is something that I am uh, able to change uh, due to my beliefs or, um, or skills or experience. And it actually doesn't need to be a limit. Uh, and then another factor is whether you're interested in, in making that uh, breaking through because uh, you only have so much time in a day and so many energy, cubits of uh, yeah. mental energy to spend. So am I going to crack the, uh, the accent game or am I going to crack uh, the perfect plotting game? Whatever your limit might be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you really, uh, the older I get, the more I notice how limited my energies are. When I was young, I had all the energy in the world, but I had no responsibility. Not really. I had to make no. sure, you know, I clean my room. And by that, yeah. I mean, stuff everything underneath my bed. But yeah. now you know, <laughs> I've got a wife and a kid and my mother lives with us. You know, I yeah. work full time. I have the podcast. I'm trying to branch out other ways to uh, have fun with it and yeah. still role play. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's Find a time lot. to enjoy your hobbies. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I stopped looking at it as an obsession and started looking at it as not an escape, but an enjoyment. Um, yeah. I think that's the difference in maturity is you start to realize you're not escaping. You're just dealing with, you're, you're learning how to cope in a different way. Yeah, yeah I agree. <clears throat> it's like I think of it like cooking uh, because mm. I suck at cooking. I'm learning how to cook. Um, you suck at years, cooking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, for years, the microwave would make my meals. Um, you know, my wife is a fantastic cook, so I've been blessed there. Um, but 
yeah, I didn't cook, therefore uh, never really learned how to use um, basically chemistry to make uh, the taste buds tingle. And, um, and so with RPGs, it's the same way. So cooking for me is an intentional activity. Uh, role-playing games to me are now an intentional activity. And I go in saying, okay, what, where, where can I actually extract some really, what, what I value out of it? Either I'm learning or experiencing something novel uh, mm-hmm. or, or something else. And so rather than just showing up, rolling the dice, you know, I went through a phase like that. And, and by phase, I don't mean I'm evolving or something. It's just what I was doing at that time. I may do it again. It's a phase. Um, yeah, I get yeah. it. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, now as we get older and our time becomes chopped up into smaller slices, I, I look at intentional activities. And, and tonight I can, um, I can play, I can run a game, I can paint some minis, I can go do video games, I can watch TV and, and there's only enough time to kind of do one of those things, which is it going to be? So whatever it is, I'm going to, you know, try to get some, some value out of it and uh, make it an intentional activity. Yeah. So like, for example, on TV, I won't turn on the television uh, to the station. It was on when I turned it off and just watch whatever I'll go. Okay. I want to watch this series on Netflix for whatever right. reason, or this show, I want to rewatch it or, or something else. Yeah. The other problem is I think all the time and too much. So maybe I'm doing that right now, but anyways, it's an intentional activity. <laughs> I, no, I think it that's it. it. It's not being a victim. And in gaming, I think that's one of the first things you learn as a player is that you should have the freedom to make a choice and do it. And you yes. should be doing that. Um, not waiting to see what you should react to. Um, although even that you can be mindful and decide what you want to do. But in life, you need to be mindful and take your, your choices and make them yours. Not because somebody pushed your buttons, which yeah. Yeah. drives me crazy. Nobody pushes your buttons, but you. You are reacting because you want to, or you have a lack of self-control or whatever. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it as uh, responding or reacting, like reacting. You just let your scripts, your programming take over and then you, you live on and responding means you take a moment and you figure out, okay, what outcome do I want? Work backwards from there. This is what I'm, you know, my next thing is going to be. Um, and that means generally I'm not going to yell or be, um, be a, a dictator at the game table or something like that it just uh well, yeah, i'll respond yeah something yeah <laughs> um, that said i'm always like uh i don't know what the word is but um like there's there's many different ways of approaching the game and so if someone just is coming to the game to not think and to just um it's been a long day long week long life they just want to blow shit up uh i support that if, if they don't want to go and make an intentional activity and make it something that they, they learn or grow from. They just want to show up, experience it. And like, uh, um, what do you call it? You relax basically. Uh, that's totally Blow fine. Some steam so, off. Yeah. yeah Blow I get some it. steam off. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, you know, have more fun at every game is the slogan or the motto mm-hmm. of role-playing tips. And I think it's based on you to define what that fun is and then for you to pursue that. So um, I definitely don't want, to put pressure on people to have to show up with a game plan to be having fun and being better. And, you know, that's <laughs> almost a like job. a job or yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I so that's what I'm scared of. I don't want people to think, Oh, I had to be fun to be a good game master. I have to treat it like a job. And that's no, that's don't do that. Oh, don't do that. It's a game. We always have to go back to that. I mean, yes, for you and I, it's a business. Role-playing is more than just yep. a pastime, a hobby. 
but at the same time, it's a game. <laughs> if I was to have a sports talk radio show, yeah, it's a business, but let's be honest, we're talking about a game. It's the same yeah. thing. It's no different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So don't take things too personally or, or too difficultly, right? I mean, yeah, agree. Try to have fun. And I think that the have fun, uh, more fun at every game is a great slogan because that's really what it is. I mean, you want to uh, chase the dragon of, of the high of playing role playing games. And not every game is going to be the best game. And don't be freaked out when you have a bad game because it happens. It happens to all yeah, of I us. Agree. It doesn't matter who you yeah. are. Yeah. And fun is interesting. Like the more we think about what is fun, you oh, have to start thinking about uh, being challenged. Um, mm -hmm. And you also have to lose. In, in, in movies, the hero always suffers, sets, always suffers setbacks. Usually they're in a, in a predicament at the beginning of the movie and they face a setback immediately. Like, like every superhero origin story starts with being bullied. But the, the, um, the story arc contains that hero losing uh, multiple times as we get even more postmodern and people learn the script. So now we have to, you know, change things up. And so, but anyways, in the role-playing game uh, spectrum, it's the same thing. So fun sometimes is about um, setbacks and complications and uh, rolling a one and this and that. Yeah. So the idea of what is fun and, and how do you have fun um, is a really deep topic too. Uh, again, uh, for people who just want to show up and, and beat stuff up, don't worry about it. Keep doing, keep being you, because that you're fun at the table. You're having fun, yeah. Don't worry about it, unless you're not having fun. But really, when you think about it, fun is about a reward. It's a payoff. So it, whatever that payoff is, if it's an awesome story moment, if it's feeling special, if it's you know having your best friend and you just hanging out, whatever it is, yeah, you need to capitalize on what that means for you because that's why you're doing it. And be aware of it. That doesn't mean everything's going to be about that. <laughs> There's more people at the table than just you. <laughs> yeah, that's the virtual teamwork. Table. Um, the virtual table. Yeah, it speaks to your um, your teamwork comment. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's fun uh, by yourself, and fun in your own, you know, narcissistic way. Everyone has little or a lot of uh, narcissistic uh, traits, and mm -hmm. um, and then there's fun uh, where you're trying to help other people have fun. Um, which is a gift and uh, that is fun in itself. And so, yeah, that's, there's levels to it for sure. Oh, totally. I, yeah. Actually, what is that uh, biblical? There's more fun in giving than there is in receiving. It's, it's true. Yep. If, if you, it is. if you pull your head out of your rear end enough to look <laughs> at it, it's very true, which is why role-playing is so powerful because it has every element possible could be in it. I mean, other things are, can probably do it too if you get down to the nitty gritty, but role playing just it's there. <laughs> you don't yeah, have to go deep a lot to find it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so tell me um, what you got coming up here. I see you got uh, your ultimate guide to five room dungeons on your website. Yeah, That's thanks. Cool. What else you got yep. going on? Um, well, that ultimate guide is um, is I think it's twenty bucks on Drive Through RPG, but it's free on my website uh, roleplayingtips.com. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to to shill uh, my book and um, of course, yeah, you can get the, the PDF for free that way. And then um, right now I'm working on um, wizard of adventure Academy. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to uh, succinctly, we talked about concision, uh, describe it. 
Uh, but basically, it's a school for game masters that teaches you that system that I was talking about. Um, and it's the the trick there is, you know, your jamming style needs to be supported. I'm not trying to convert or I don't think it's right that people, as we talked about, go against their strengths and weaknesses or their green. So the system is really taking advantage of um, a variety of tools and then and teaching you tools and then allowing you to like Lego to kind of put your own toolbox mm -hmm. together. And that's how you GM. But now you understand what the interactive medium is about. For example, if you understand the principles of having players, not an audience, then that's going to help you either prepare or plan. It's going to help you build a world that is meant to be um, interacted with, as opposed to uh, is a static thing that is um, that is canon for a writer or for the Star Wars franchise. Um, just completely different things. Anyways, Wizard of Adventure um, is uh, what I'll be relaunching my Patreon as uh, this month. And you can go to Patreon slash John 4. And, um, and what are your membership that's levels? Be, and yeah, med, uh, different membership levels. Um, okay. And then that's going to be my project for the next few years. I've got it plotted out already uh, what I want to talk about. But as soon as I'm done that level, then um, I'll, more levels will open up. Uh, and we'll get deeper and deeper. And then um, things like I now talk with uh, Game Masters every month on uh, Zoom uh, with uh, Platinum patrons. And I hear about what their uh, points of friction are and their headaches are. And um, they're not always, um, here's a way to build an NPC in 15 seconds. It's more, uh, and so Wizard of Academy will go into all of the, uh, the solutions for different problems, uh, the deeper it goes. But uh, like I said, I've ha I'm having a hard time describing it in uh, five words or less, but it's a school for game masters to learn how to build worlds, how to build adventures, how to run adventures, how to build NPCs, and how to run combat. So those are the five pillars of Wizard of Adventure, um, the Academy. So, Very yeah. exciting. So that's coming up when? Uh, you can subscribe today. The program is, is being rolled out. Uh, I've already got uh, Wizard of Story which is the adventure campaign building program. I've got that uh, in a version completed. Several hours of lessons and tutorials and visit and, and, um, and uh, videos there. I've also got Wizard of Combat, uh, which is about how to cut your combat time in half, uh, but tell twice the story. There's mm -hmm. this whole layer of storytelling within combat that uh, games don't, like no Dungeon Master's Guide tells us how to do or, um, or Game Master's uh, book seems to include. Are you in talking the about the the Princess Bride, Spider-Man-esque type uh, combat story. <laughs> oh, what is that kind? What is that? Well, it, where where there's you're talking, you're you're dealing with uh, uh, the surroundings. You know, you're interacting, not just rolling your attack. You're interacting with your yes. environment and with your opponent. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I've broken combat stories down into three levels, the three um, levels of combat story, I have imaginatively called it. And um, the first level is the round, uh, sorry, the action story. So that is basically when it's your turn and in initiative, uh, as a game master, you can do some things to make it a very smooth uh, transition from the previous player's turn to the new player's turn to tell the player what's going on in their current situation and to actually put some story into that to make it exciting and interesting. So here's what your character is doing in this moment or facing actually in this moment. That is the uh, turn or the action story. The round story is when everybody's had a chance to act and the, you know, the foes and the, and the characters, the heroes have done their thing. Then at the top of the round, you kind of describe the state. Here's 
here's what's happening. Like the, it looks like the foes are winning. Uh, two characters are down and need help. And the, the look, sounds like there's a second wave of reinforcements coming from the corridor. And you can see uh, that the shaman in the back is uh, doing her, her mumbly pegging and is about to unleash some, uh, some div divination uh, hurt on you. And that's like the story of the round. This sets up the stakes for what mm -hmm. the players need to think about for that round. And then you just renew that every round. And then the third tier is the combat story. And what I want answered from a combat story is what happens or why does it matter if the characters win, lose, or retreat? And, and retreat and loss might be the same thing, but loss is more like being taken prisoner or is you know, being hit uh, and, and, and um, either dying or dead or whatever. And so, yeah, what, what does it matter? And that touches upon what you said in, in the combat story, Princess Bride and whatnot, where what, what difference does it make to the adventure, to the campaign and to the world that the combat has this outcome, win, lose, or draw ultimately. Um, and so that story means that you don't tell it during combat, but at the beginning of the combat, you set the stakes for that. And now mm. all of a sudden combat has this really cool meaning. Like if we don't win, this will, this bad thing will happen. It's, it's more about uh, my character will, will live or die. And most characters are Mary Sue's anyway. So you know that you're going to live by the, you know, at the end of the combat. So there's not much drama there. Um, anyway, so those are the three tiers right. or, or levels of story um, that, you know, aren't, I don't think are obvious from the rule books. You kind of have to, think about it and try it and, and study and, and that's the three like, for example you, you need yeah. the three act method in everything you do every scene should have it yeah. in its own way yeah. and a scene goal but that comes yeah. from writing and movie making and things like that and i think that's kind yeah. of where game masters really are i mean you're you're trying to be cinematic director you're trying to be a story uh boardist you're trying to be um a, a normal director <laughs> You know, you're trying to do yeah. all these roles and that's difficult to do. That's why giving your players more ability to control what's going on around them. You're not like uh, for me, one of my big things, and I know we're running short of time here, but for me, one of the big things is um, I think that if a character says, I'm going to pick up this jar, I'm not going to say, well, roll to see if there's a jar there. Yeah. You've got an idea. There's a jar there. You saw it. It's there. I don't care. It, now, obviously, if you say, I'm going to pick up this nuclear warhead, I'm going to say, <laughs> well, there's not really one of those. It yeah. turns out to just be a hat that's metal <laughs> you know, or something. Yeah. But, you know, you go with it because the character or the players are crafting the story, too. And by doing that, it adds so much more intrigue and interest. Uh, but what you're talking about is from a GM or DM side is uh, shaping the combat story, giving yeah. a reason why something's happening and, and utilizing what the players have done and how that affects for the next round. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so very exciting. See, say, it's awesome. I've seen advice out there that says, um, you know, be a good storyteller. Um, but I thought about that. Like, what does that mean? I know what it means to be a storyteller on stage because um, there's lots of... Um, I've got a shelf full of how to write books that basically talk about that. Um, but you brought up a great example, the three act structure. So when it comes to role-playing games, we have an audience, uh, sorry, we have players, not an audience. And so the three act structure in an audience format is perfect. The three act structure is beginning, middle and end, the inciting incident and the kind of the introduction to the, the conflict and stuff. That's the beginning. The world, the, the hero um, passes the point of no, um, 
turning back and they enter they leave the ordinary world and go into the world of the story in the middle the action develops you meet characters there's conflicts and all that stuff and then at the end we have the conclusion and ultimately they pay off it's a it's a tragedy tragedy or a comedy or whatever whatever yeah. um but here's my my problem um when i when i encounter those ideas in role-playing sense the players make choices and the dice also uh, generate results that are out of our control. And so as a game master, we have to decide whether we're going to follow the three-act structure because it makes sense in a literary sense and we remove choice from players to have that happen, or we, we don't follow the three-act structure uh, verbatim. And if the characters regress and they go from act two back to act one, or you know, there's five-act and nine-act structures, which is a little bit more granular. So if they're in act seven or something, then they might make a decision. They could, for example, the classic one is um, they kill the villain too early. So that screws our act three. Like act three yeah. just went up in smoke if you're just if you're just GMing from traditional media standpoint. But when you understand uh, things um, from a dynamic standpoint, it's okay, what is the purpose of act three? What's supposed to happen there? And in my definition of act three is it's part of the infinite game. The purpose of act three is to open up a new act one. You keep the campaign going. Mm. Oh, you don't uh, have an act three. Yeah. To, and, and there's right. more, blah, blah, blah. I'm just rambling on. But um, <laughs> no, it's, you're... It's, it's, it's an explanation of GM style where yes. if they understand that, they're not pushing the act structure. It's like, okay, well, the villain can't lose in this encounter because I have an act three. Um, no. <laughs> so yeah, really yeah. interesting stuff. And that's what I, I think about. And that's what I teach in this uh, Wizard of Adventure Academy is basically how to think... Um, like a game master, not like a, a, a script writer or an author or something like that, a director. Well, that is very exciting. I know um, many of our uh, listeners will definitely want to go to uh, roleplayingtips.com and check out Thank the you. Wizard of Adventure. And uh, we're so great. Uh, it was so great to have you. I always say we're so great. Uh, it was it's so great. Royal we. It's a royal we. Thank yeah, you so much. I. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, we uh we are uh, i don't know but we will keep in touch with you for sure yeah that's right and maybe Send next me time another you won't email turn me down. <laughs> that i'll say no to um but yeah no this has been fun i always like talking about gaming and uh you had some interesting questions i haven't been asked before so let's do this again uh, definitely all right thanks john yeah, good yeah thanks ryan this has been a geezers of the game production if you'd like to support us please find us on patreon or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash geezers yeah. <laughs> <laughs>